0: It was one year ago yesterday where I was sitting on my couch, looking through my Instagram feed, bored as shit. A few months removed from doing our, I guess you could call our last episode of Wrestling With Issues podcast. And at this point, we were going in separate paths, not like in a bad way. Nick was doing barber school. Kevin was doing his job at the time as a chef. And we really didn't have enough time to actually sit down and record all together at once. It happens. It's not a bad thing, you know. We're grown-ass men. Maybe the, me being the young boy, Nick being the pessimist, Kevin being, you know, the optimist, and me being the outside perspective. I was looking through my Instagram, and I saw this advertisement on Instagram where Gary Vaynerchuk... Known also known as Gary V was talking about the Anchor app where you can just do a podcast on your phone you can just literally pull out your phone record something for a few minutes and put it out there for the world to hear and I was thinking I really wanted to have my own professional wrestling podcast so I took a chance on myself and on that fateful day July 14th, 2018 I did my first ever episode. Extreme Fools. Preview and predictions. Fast forward. One year and one day later. I now begin year two. Of the Young Lions perspective. 4,700 plays. 84 episodes. You guys took time out of your day your night, your afternoon, and your evening, wherever you may be, wherever you are in the world, and decided to check me out and listen to what I had to say about the world of professional wrestling with an old-school mindset from a millennial's point of view. I am humbled. Every thank you I could give right now won't mean as much as the fact that you sat down You listen to me in your car, on your mobile device, on your headphones, while you were going to work, or just doing shit. Your laptop. Whatever app you check me out on. CastBox. You know. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio, Spotify. It doesn't, you know, every thank you doesn't mean enough is the fact that you you check me out. You hit play. And you sat down and you listened to my opinion on the world of professional wrestling. Today, I sit here on this couch, humble, thankful, appreciative of the fact that, you know, I've, you know, now done an interview with Sonny Arvato author of Instagods, which is still, you know, you can listen to right now at this very moment if you don't want to listen to this episode and you can want to check that out later. That, you know, I got a shout out today from Modern Life Dating, the homie Jonathan, my older brother, as I affectionately call him, for shouting me out on his uh, YouTube channel today during his episode, one of the episodes. From AFI Kingdom, you know, chatting with him yesterday and wanting to collab. I'm, you know, my apologies for not getting out to you sooner, man. You know, I wanted to get this show out today. I was doing my notes and everything, so my my apologies for not getting back to you sooner. It's a it's a nice feeling to know that. This podcast is starting to get some reach, you know, I'm just a small fish in a very, very humongous pond in the world of professional wrestling with so many big names like JD from NY 206, Sala Monster, Don Tony and Kevin Castle, Sala Monster, you know, Jim Ross, Steve Austin, talk is Jericho, you know, Steven Larson. Okay, Fab. Good Mike work. King of the Rings podcast, High Spots podcast, Sledgehammer TV, and then there's me. Somewhere in there, you know, on the lower end. And I'm just humbled that, you know, 4,700 times that this podcast has been played, no matter what episode you checked out, whether it was, you know, the boom period, Late in, you know, from the middle, in the late portion of the year until, you know, January when I had a huge boom period and then all of a sudden it fell off. Doesn't matter. Somebody, you still take time out of your day to check me out. But rookie season is now over. I'm like Patrick Mahomes at this moment. You know, great year. Hottest thing in the game right now. But now we go into year two. what can I, what, what the question of the, uh, the day would be what do you expect from me in 20 for the remainder of 2019 year 2 more better stronger opinions hopefully more guests. dedication hard work what got, to the, got, what got me to the dance is what is going to continue to get me to the dance. I'm going to bust my ass for every single one of y'all that had checked me out and that shared this, these episodes, that have told people about this show, that have shown love on my Instagram, that have shown me love on my Twitter for my post. This is just the beginning. Now, year two, there will be no sophomore slump because we don't have time for a sophomore slump. From the bottom of my motherfucking heart. Thank you. Thank you so much for this year. This has been a, a, a wonderful year. I can I can honestly say that. Forty seven hundred plays in one year, 84 episodes. We're almost close. We're about to hit a hundred very soon. I hope that hit hundred before the October season starts and AEW begins. And now I have to go harder. For y'all. For me. And we're just getting fucking started. Now that we're done with that. This is episode 85 of the Young Lions Perspective, the one year anniversary show, the good, the bad. And we're starting off with the ugly that was WWE Extreme Fools 2019. And with that being said, let us begin. What's going on guys, Zach from Wrestling With Issues Podcast here, and welcome to episode 85 of the Young Lions Perspective. And not only is this episode 85, this is the one year anniversary show. Yes, if you listen to uh, the opening segment, that was your opening segment. Just a a thank you for every single one of you who's checked out the show for the past year. Um, It means more than anything to me that... 4,700 times this this podcast has been played in capacity. 84 episodes in the span of a year. I can't thank every single one of you enough who checked it out. And I hope you're enjoying your day, your night, your afternoon, and your evening. Wherever you may be, wherever you are in the world. Thank you guys so much for checking out this episode of the podcast. And as always, I greatly and truly appreciate it. And if y'all... Checked out my Instagram post before I started recording this. Y'all know what the fuck y'all about to get into. Welcome to year two. And we're starting this off the proper way. We're not starting off with the good. That was Extreme Fools 2019. We're starting off with the ugly. That was Extreme Fools 2019. And I'm going to save the best for last for this segment. WWE has officially buried Dolph Ziggler by having him lose to Kevin Owens in less than 10 seconds. Literally. the entire I could have taken a piss longer than Owens-Ziggler went down last night. And I'm being dead fucking serious. I could have taken a fucking dump longer than Kevin Owens versus Dolph Ziggler last night. The bottle of ShopRite Clear Delight that I'm popping right now. Tropical flavor, by the way. Had more value than Owen Ziegler did last night. What, 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 why did we even fucking have This match on the fucking card in the first place. Tell me why. That match was a fucking joke. An absolute non-factor in the grand scheme of things. Basically, you might as well not have even had Dolph Ziggler on the fucking card. Let Kevin Owens just come out, talk shit for 5-10 minutes, and that was it. I would have actually enjoyed that more than I did with Owen Ziegler last night. If I'm Dolph Ziggler right now, I am reconsidering asking for my release from the WWE. There is nothing else Dolph Ziggler needs to do with this company. I'm being dead fucking serious. I know there's a company called AEW that would love to see Dolph Ziggler in their promotion. I'm being dead serious right now. Ziggler has nothing else left to do in WWE. And what they did to Ziggler last night is embarrassing. Downright fucking disgraceful. I guarantee you right now, Ziggler does not feel good about what he had to deal with last night. Seriously, that, that was my job. For, if that was what I had to do for the night, I would immediately go to Vince McMahon, tell him I want my fucking release. I want out of my contract. i want to get the hell out of this company. They have done nothing for him since his return to WWE. Two matches against Kofi Kingston. The promo he cut. It should have been me. I could book Dolph Ziggler better on WWE 2K19 right the fuck now. Better than Vince McMahon could right now. And we both know it. This guy is an, at least a, a solid upper mid-card talent that could be vying for the Intercontinental Championship that could have had a feud, a solid feud, actually, with Finn Balor before he lost the championship with Shinsuke Nakamura, and we're definitely going to get into that. Oh, we're going to get into that. He could have had feuds with Mustafa Ali, Alistair Black, Elias, Roman Reigns, but no, we'll just embarrass him by having him lose in five seconds to Kevin Owens with a stunner. That was your match, by the way. Shit talking, one push, stunner, one, two, three. That was it. If I'm Dolph Ziggler, I want out. I'm done. I want my release. I want to be done with the company. I will wait my 90 days for no complete clause if I have it in my contract. And actually, that coincides with AEW's beginning in October. First, second week out, if I'm granted that and I get my 90-day no compete clause complete, I'm going straight to AEW immediately. Because I know my worth will be better served in AEW, than it ever has done in the last couple of years with WWE. When you look back on Seth Rollins' Universal title reign, it was honestly a waste of our fucking time. Some of you WWE apologists out there may think, but that was a good title reign. How? Let's actually look at Seth Rollins' title reign. WrestleMania, opening match, Rollins somehow overcomes the Beast and becomes the new Universal Champion. Okay, I can rock with that. This was before we found out Brock Lesnar was not going back to the UFC, where Dana White basically stated he is retired from the UFC, and that and that right then and there should I should I should have figured that out right then and there? Now we were fucked. Money in the Bank. He has the feud with AJ Styles in a match that I had said plenty of times. And you can check back on those episodes before Money in the Bank. That's Rollins versus Styles would have been better served at SummerSlam. If now now knowing what we know, Club being reformed. That Rollins Styles would have been better served at SummerSlam in Toronto for the Universal Championship. What a barn burner of a match we could have had. But instead, they did it at Money in the Bank with Rollins retaining over Styles. Match was good. Not gonna front with y'all. I gave it the credit it deserved. That's when it, his title ring peaked. Because then, over three separate shows, We had to deal with everyone's favorite TGI Friday's general manager, Baron fucking Corbin. Super Showdown, Stomping Grounds, and last night at Extreme Fools. Why? Because WWE built up no one else. You had... Samoa Joe Braun Strowman I'll even throw Bobby Trashley in there just to get him over just to get Rollins over into the next month Drew McIntyre I believe was still on Raw if I'm not mistaken that's four solid contenders right there with AJ then being the one to face Rollins at SummerSlam. Bray Wyatt, I'll even throw in there. With his Firefly, Firefly Funhouse. And then last night, Brock Lesnar becomes the Universal Champion. So tell me, you WWE goons who still fall to your knees and suck WWE cock tell me that he had a good title reign and I will tell you immediately you are absolutely wrong it was a waste of our time for four months Mm. a waste Brock Lesnar at Money in the Bank became the eighth participant I think it was the eighth participant or however, seven. I don't really give a shit. At that very moment, we were on borrowed time with Seth Rollins being the universal champion. Statistically, any person who wins money in the bank becomes world champion. It was just a matter of time before Lesnar was going to get the title back. Do you want to know how much time Actually, let me make sure I wrote that correctly. Do you want to know how much I didn't give a damn about the Braun Strowman-Bobby Trashley match? I took a shower. When I came out of the shower, Strowman won and I couldn't care less. I couldn't give a fuck less about Braun Strowman and Bobby Trashley. I am done with this feud. I've been done with this feud since late last year. The match itself, when I look back at it, was fucking terrible. Terrible. How the fuck are you going to tell me that was a good last Man standing match? These two have nothing going for them, especially Braun Strowman. And there, apparently there were people on Twitter saying that after his victory over Bobby Trashley, that he should be the one to take out Brock Lesnar and become the new, new universal champion. Really now? Really? What has Braun Strowman done to garner himself a universal title shot? I'd love to know. Because honestly, in my mind, he hasn't done jack shit. In terms of earning a universal title shot. Three years too late. Braun Strowman's moment should have been at no mercy. No fucking mercy. That was his time to actually win the championship. Because we all knew the news was going into that match, Brock Lesnar was leaving for the UFC. Or he was going to be gone for four months. At that moment, Vince McMahon should have pulled the fucking trigger and had given us what we wanted, which was a Braun Strowman title reign. And I had stated that. I've stated this multiple times. The way I would have booked it was simple. Strowman beats Lesnar. Let Strowman hold the title until Royal Rumble. When Lesnar came back, it could have given the title right back to him. There would have been no harm in having a Strowman title reign. Let's see if the kid can sink or swim. For four months. At that point. Once we get to Lesnar again. You reassess. And if you feel that. Strowman has done. Well with the title. You keep the belt on him. Instead. We had Lesnar retain the championship. He pretty much goes. Bye bye. Until Royal Rumble. And if I remember correctly. We had that. Awful. We had that actually somewhat decent triple threat match for the the Universal Championship. I believe that was with John Cena and Cam. If I'm not mistaken. But Braun Strowman now is Universal Champion? Ain't that delicious of a plate. Not the kind of plate I would like to be served. To be truthfully honest with you. This feud needs to end. I hope it ended after last night. Usually a last man standing match is a definitive end to a feud. Let Strowman start being built up again. Build him up. Start letting him get wins. And maybe, just maybe, Somewhere down the line, we could give him a title shot if you build him up properly as a dominant monster. But at this point, it's three years too fucking late. The Bailey versus Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss handicap match was an absolute train wreck and further proves that the women in WWE are being booked to fail. I hated this match. What what purpose did this match have in the grand scheme of things for the SmackDown Live women's division? When you have Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, who are Raw superstars, going up against a SmackDown Live women's champion. Proves two things. One, the wildcard rules trash and should be abolished immediately. And two, The people over at SmackDown do not have faith in their division. When you have names like Ember Moon, Peyton Royce, Billy Kay, Sonya Deville, Mandy Rose, Charlotte, Carmella, Liv Morgan. The depth you actually know. Let me me make sure I get the other two. Asuka, Kyrie Sands, When you have a a freaking roster with that kind of depth and the match you go with for Extreme Rules is Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross versus Bayley, that's disrespectful to the SmackDown line women's division. And every single woman on SmackDown should be pissed the fuck off that they were left off the card. The Women's Revolution... There isn't any. I haven't seen it. With the report I had talked about, with what the Bellas were talking about, where they were, where they had the Iconics win the women's tag team championship, and they were going to face the Iconics for the next for the next few months, that was going to be the program for them. That truly shows how much they really value the women's tag team division. They don't. When you have a A duo like the Bellas, who are honestly, by most people, are hated. So, what they're hot. Why give them the opportunity? If you were giving me fucking change, you're going to give me the Bellas and the Iconics. I mean, yes, I know Nikki's injured. And so that was never going to happen, and she had to retire from the game. I hope she, I hope her recovery goes well. But thank goodness that never came to fruition, because I guarantee you, with the Iconics winning the titles, you already considered the women's tag team division dead to rights. And with the Bellas and the Iconics, with that feud, that solidified the final nail. That would have been the solidified final nail in the coffin for the tag team division as a whole. that would have been a terrible feud. A terrible choice of feud with two teams that, honestly, at this point, no one would have given a fuck about. Sasa Banks and Bayley should have been the standard bearers of that division for a long period of time. And Asuka and Kyrie Sane should have been the ones to take those titles off of them at SummerSlam. WWE had the ability to not only build that division, but help build the women's divisions all together. Women's Revolution, my ass. We were all duped into believing that there was going to be change. I don't see change. I believe in the women. I believe that the women can kick ass. If you bring talent and kick ass matches to the table, you get my respect. There's so many women at the division that haven't even gotten their chance to have a taste of a women's championship opportunity. And they are literally being left in the dust. What's Carmella doing? Nothing but R-Truth segments over the 24-7 championship. Mandy Rose and Sonia Deville are embroiled in nothing feud with Ember Moon. Asuka and Kairi Sane became the number one contenders for the Women's Tag Team Championship, yet, we haven't had a championship match yet between these two teams, them and the Iconics. Thought that was a bug. And now look what you have SmackDown Live's women's division is nothing. Raw. Women's division is nothing. Evolution. When I had talked about it, the evolution will be televised, but don't believe the hype. Go back and check out that episode again. One of my favorite episodes ever I have recorded, and all of it was truth. Because seriously, now looking at the women's division now, almost a year later, after I recorded that episode, rings true. All of it rings true. What what's what's Bailey gonna do now going into SummerSlam? I know I had stated plenty of times Bailey versus Charlotte was going to be the match. I wouldn't be surprised if they did that. I also wouldn't be surprised if they did Alexa Bliss and Bailey one more time because Alexa Bliss wasn't pinned. What a joke that would be. If they had Alexa Bliss Bailey for the SmackDown Live Women's Championship at the so-called Biggest Party of the Summer. This ain't the biggest party of the summer. It's a scam. To quote Jamie from NY 206, the biggest fraud of the summer is summer scam. For a show that was called Extreme Rules, we didn't really get anything that was honestly considered extreme. I stated when I did the good, the bad, and the ugly that was AEW Fighter Fest. Joey Janela versus John Moxley was more extreme than the entire Extreme Rules card. I ask you now, am I wrong? The answer is no. I didn't expect WWE to take it to the extreme. Not at all. Oh, yeah, we had our table. We had our certain table spots. Kendo sticks, chairs, steel chairs being, you know, being used, steel steps, the announcer table spot. Those were all pretty much, you know, Prerequisite. Sure, we had the, you know, jumping off the ledge, power slam into whatever cardboard setup they had. But it didn't scream extreme to me. It didn't. None of it screamed extreme. It was your regular run-of-the-mill... No holds barred. Extreme rules. Nothing, no barbed wire. No thumbtacks. No blood, to speak of. When I think extreme, I think extreme. I think ladders. I think crazy ladder spots. I think almost ha- having almost every match. Be some form of extreme rules. Ladder matches, TLCs, extreme rules, no holes barred, table matches, all that stuff. Not in WWE's day. Not in WWE's day. Not anymore. They are still PG as fuck. And it's a damn shame that we can't even call, it, we could, that's why I call it extreme fools. Because we were all fooled into thinking that this was going to be the one night of the year where WWE goes to the extreme. What did they do that was considered extreme? Honestly, if you think you have the answer, tell me. Send me a voice message here on uh, anchor.fm slash Young Lions Perspective. Hit me up on my Instagram at young underscore lions underscore perspective. Hit me up on my Twitter at sway senator wwi and tell me what you really think was extreme. It was your regular run of the mill bootleg hardcore show. If you really want to think extreme rules, go back to Aleister Black versus Adam Cole. If you want to go back to a last man standing match, Think Johnny Gargano versus Tommaso Ciampa. You want to think No Holds Barred? Think of the unsanctioned match between Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa at TakeOver New Orleans. That is extreme. And in a PG era, that is about as extreme as it gets. It's a damn shame WWE can't even go that far it's a damn fucking shame WWE should be fucking embarrassed extreme rules shouldn't even be on the pay-per-view calendar I'm being brutally honest with you extreme rules should be taken off the calendar for good It has no use anymore if you're going to give me a show like you gave me last night. Oh, and trust me, my final grade, most of y'all probably aren't going to like it. But everything I'm giving you justifies my grade. It's fucking foolish of WWE to think they can go extreme. Foolish. And finally, we've now can talk about Brock Lesnar. WWE has officially gone back to square fucking one by giving the Universal Championship back to Brock Lesnar. I stated the timeline earlier in this segment of the podcast. The moment we found out Brock Lesnar was not going back to the UFC, should have drawn up huge sirens and more red flags than a communist parade, to quote Richard Cooper, entrepreneurs in cars. Once we found out he wasn't going to the UFC, something was up. Money in the Bank that night wasn't even thinking that Brock Lesnar was going to be involved in that match. I was thinking Bray Wyatt. I'm not even. I don't even remember who the fuck I picked to win that match. Cause once Brock Lesnar won that match, it didn't matter. Money in the Bank was served in its early years to give an up-and-coming talent that was ready to break out and become a star the opportunity to become world champion and see if they can sink or swim. Now, we're just throwing the briefcase to Brock Lesnar. And look at where we are now. Look at where we are now. We are back to square fucking one. But we're supposed to have change, right? Back in December, seven months ago, Triple H and the McMahons, Stephanie, Shane, and Vince, came out in a promo on Monday Night Raw to open the show to see that they were not giving us their their fucking best. Triple H stated we were going to get new matches, new stars, new feuds. New was the word of the day. Instead, we were given the same old shit for the last seven months. Sure, we had some moments that were thumbs up worthy. But you erased everything the second Brock Lesnar came out after he retained his Universal Championship, and help and ensure that Becky Lynch retained her Raw Women's Championship. The second he walked out there, three German suplexes, They cashed in, one F five. One, two, three. That was it. That's all it took. Not even... Two minutes. And it, that was all it fucking took to get us back to where we were four months ago. Prior to WrestleMania. We we talked about the report where Fox wanted Brock Lesnar to be a part of SmackDown Live upon, their, upon the move from USA to Fox in the fall, in October. On Friday nights, with the wild card rule in effect, don't be surprised if Brock Lesnar, still Universal Champion, makes makes his appearances on SmackDown Live. You made Seth Rollins look like a complete bitch. Vince McMahon. Triple H, Stephanie and Shane. All proposed change. And yet they're giving us the same old fucking garbage. Tonight, Monday Night Raw, this is the most critical show of 2019. This is the night that begins Paul and Heyman's role as executive director of Monday Night Raw, it begins tonight. Now that Brock Lesnar has the universal championship again for the third time, which makes me want to vomit. Now we're really going to see what Paul Heyman can do. If this was his plan all along, Boy, are we going to be in for a long remainder of the summer and going into the fall? Because remember, Brock Lesnar only what showed up on Raw for a few for like what five, six shows, maybe seven, maybe eight last year, and he's going to get paid Buku money for his appearances in Summerslam. Buku money to show up on a particular Raw. He'll show up tonight. Guarantee he won't show up up again until SummerSlam. When the Universal Championship is going to be on the line. If he retains the championship at SummerSlam, he probably won't show up until October. But that's what WWE wants, right? That's what WWE wants to have. That's what WWE considers change. That's not change. Change. Change is having up-and-coming stars get their chance to become the top guy of their brand. Change is having a team like Heavy Machinery win the SmackDown Live Tag Team Championships. Change is having Ricochet retain the United States Championship. Change is having actual feuds for Intercontinental Championships. For the US championships to build up new stars like they stated seven months ago. That's not change. That's keeping status quo. Change is having NXT talent that have been brought up from Triple H to Vince McMahon, and not fucking them over. EC3 is buried, by the way, people. Excuse me. Bobby Roode, I haven't seen him in months. Nakamura, so what if he's the IC champion? You think they're really going to book him and his title reign properly? Because they didn't do it for Finn Balor. And we'll get into that a little bit later on. the women, not both correctly. If this is change, honestly, if you believe in your heart of hearts that this is the change WWE needs to give us the people, then God help you. God help us all. This is not change. This is nowhere near change. This is Vince McMahon giving everyone the middle finger. This is Vince McMahon saying, fuck you. To every single person who actually believed that there was going to be change. I told you when I talked about that promo, I'll believe it when I fucking see it. And I haven't seen a damn thing in seven months. All I've seen is WWE go through the motions. Having a shitty superstar shakeup. Instituting the wildcard rule, which literally has fucked over WWE since since its inception. Back in April. Tonight is the most critical day. In WWE history. If Raw. Tanks tonight. If we still get the same old shit. That we get. Every other week. I will come on here. I will shit on the whole deal. And I will tell you I told you so. I have no faith in WWE at this point, knowing that Brock Lesnar is once again Universal Champion. None whatsoever. I don't believe in the movement. I don't believe Vince McMahon. I don't believe the authority, even though we are supposed to be the authority. Last time I checked, if I'm the authority, I would sure as hell would not be booking Brock Lesnar as WWE Universal Champion. I'm ashamed to be a WWE main roster fan right now. Now you know why I usually don't watch Raw. But I'm watching Raw tonight. Because this is a critical night. If they don't hit it out of the park. They're done. They're done. They're not, And there's no turning back. AEW is going to come in the fall. And if they can't knock it out of the park. Main roster programming is fucked. Fucked beyond repair. If they don't start getting better with Bischoff and Heyman at the helm, they are fucked. They are done. And there's nothing they are going to be able to do about it. And that is your ugly. That was Extreme Fools 2019. We're going to take a short break and listen to our sponsor, and then we're going to get into the good. And that, I promise you, will be a very quick segment because there wasn't much good from last night. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with the good, the bad, and the ugly that was Extreme Fools 2019. Before I start off with this segment, I'm going to take a sip of my sparkling water here. I'm telling you, man, sparkling seltzer water, man, it's on point, bro. There were a couple of good things that did come out of this pay per view last night. Mainly, the first three matches Roman Reigns versus The Undertaker. Roman Reigns and The Undertaker, I should say. Versus Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre in the No Host Bar tag match. The revival versus the Usos and Aleister Black versus Cesaro were perfectly placed and made me think that we were gonna have a better show than I thought they were. I usually shit on Roman Reigns, and y'all, and that's documented, and every single one of y'all who's listened to this program more than five seconds knows that. That was a fun match. The Undertaker was actually actually looked a lot better than he did at Super Showdown. Unfortunately, that bad taste will never come leave our mouths, ever. That lives in infamy on the WWE Network, unfortunately. I know he wanted to prove himself, he wanted to redeem himself, that that was just one bad match. Unfortunately, that will never go away. He will always have that on his record. But he looked a lot better, a whole lot better last night than he did last month at Super Showdown. He looked damn good. And I was highly impressed that he could still go the way he did. He took a good amount of bumps. Thoroughly impressed. Everything about that match that that took place was actually good. And I thought I was going to shit all over this match. The right team won, apparently. Because there's no way you're going to have the Undertaker lose. No way. There was no way they were going to lose last night. But at least for my money, for the $9.99 I pay for the WWE Network, that was worth it. That was a very, very fun match. And a match I would probably go back and watch. Albeit it did take four minutes for The Undertaker to actually get into the ring. And the match didn't really start until seven eighteen. They could have really, you know, cut that off a little bit. But the match itself was fun. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the spots. You know, Roman wasn't cringe to me. The shot of Drew McIntyre looking at Undertaker before he hit the Claymore on him, that was a great shot. Great fucking shot. Shane McMahon didn't look too cringe. He act- they actually did a good job in placing this as the opening matchup and actually proving me wrong for once. That was a fun match. The Revival versus the Usos was a great match to watch. It was short to the point and surprisingly, the Revival retained the Raw Tag Team Championships. I was shocked. I really thought the Usos were going to take those titles from them. Fucking, um, uh, Dawson and Wilder were just going to get possibly maybe get a rematch at SummerSlam, even though they don't do rematches anymore. And then that would be, they would be done. And they would just go off into the sunset after their contracts were up, go to AEW and kick ass. But I'm really surprised that they had the Revival retain their championships on last night. It was a good match. This was a really good match by both of these teams. I was very happy that the Revival won because I love the Revival. I'm a big fan of the Revival. Huge fan. Very, 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 very happy that they had the Revival go over on the Usos. Will they have one more match at SummerSlam? You know, that's up in the air. But at least for one night, the Revival can say they beat the top tag, one of the top tag teams, if not the top tag team right now. In WWE. Alistair Black and Cesaro. 10 minute match. Short, sweet, to the fucking point. I knew this match was going to be damn good. And they proved me right. Cesaro was the perfect guy for the repackaging of Aleister Black. He was the perfect first opponent for that repackaging of Black. I knew Cesaro and Black were going to have a solid match. I knew they were going to kill it. Philly crowd definitely enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. The springboard moves, on point. The counter move, the, the knee off the um, springboard by Cesaro, that was clean. That was dope. The black mass finish came out of nowhere as expected. Cesaro and black were throwing counter for counter. Next thing you know, bang, black mass. One, two, three. Perfect. I'm telling you, they need to do Aleister Black, Randy Orton at SummerSlam. Two men who can hit moves out of literally nowhere. And they've proved it over the years. More so Orton than Black. Both of them prove that you can actually hit their moves out of nowhere. Come Tuesday night, they need to start that feud. And if they don't, and if they go the Bray Wyatt route, I would be like, I would like that too. But I know Bray Wyatt's overall superstar and they should keep him going against Brock, Le- now Brock Lesnar, for the Universal Championship. Because I know a lot of people would have loved to see Bray Wyatt be the one to, to go against the House Black, but it would have been way too soon. But it would have been way, way too soon. But that match definitely did what it had to do to get Alistair Black over. And like I said, Cesaro, solid dude to go put up in the ring with him. I know Cesaro, you know, not winning, you know, does suck because I'm, a, I'm I like Cesaro, I stand Cesaro, as the kids say. But. I enjoyed that match. Those three matches alone gave me hope. It really gave me hope that they were going to have a better show than I thought they were going to. And then they had the handicap match with Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross versus Bayley and that just pretty much fucked everything. (sighs) The Ricochet AJ Styles match was decent. But the ending of that match was fantastic, and I'm gonna get into that. And I mean, Ricochet AJ Styles was your run of, was literally your run of the mill match. I would have watched on Monday Night Raw. You know, it it sucked that you know when AJ first beat Ricochet, he beat him one on one, beat him one on one, and. Now, all of a sudden, he needs the club out there to help him beat Ricochet. You know, that kind of threw everything off for me a little bit. It really threw everything off. But let's get to the end of this match real fast. I got it on my tablet. So, Styles goes to Suplex Ricochet. Styles goes to Suplex Ricochet. Ricochet counter with a swinging net breaker styles lifts ricochet for a brain buster goes for the cover and gets a two count both men are down fans chanting this is awesome it was aight styles slowly gets up drags ricochet over to the corner styles hauls ricochet up top ricochet fights back they brawl styles rocks ricochet climbs with the joint ricochet rich ricochet fights back again Slabs styles off the top rope adjusts his positioning styles gets right back up only to get a hot shot from ricochet Ricochet climbs back up, hits a springboard shooting star, press, goes for the cover. Styles has a foot under the rope, and Anderson pointed it out to the referee, and the referee does not count. The cover. He'd ricochet then drags Styles to the drop zone, climbs up top, Anderson runs over, he leaps over him, boots Anderson down. The distraction allowed Gallows to trip Ricochet. Ricochet stuck on the corner, Styles takes advantage, hits an imploding Styles class off the second rope, and that was how AJ Styles won the United States Championship last night. Like I said, the ending was awesome. I liked the ending. I was okay with it. But, you know, I talked about it earlier in The Ugly. That was Extreme Fools 2019. Why AJ Styles won the championship was not the best of decisions. Despite the fact that the New Day are now the SmackDown Live Tag Team Champions, the Triple Threat Tag Team match was better than I thought it would be. I knew this was going to be a good match, but they they really had fun with this. They had a lot of fun with this. Really good match. I did pick Daniel Bryan and Rowan to win and retain the championships going into SummerSlam because I was thinking that Rowan, Bryan versus Heavy Machinery was going to be the match they were going to do at SummerSlam. Unfortunately, the new day did become six-time now six-time tag team champions. The match itself though was fun. The match itself though was really really good to watch. You know, everybody had a, had, a, had a moment in the match, some bigger than others. Uh Biggie had Biggie had a really good spot at the end of the match when he was uh tangled up in the submission hold and the LaBelle lock by Brian and him having to fight out to get out of the ring because there was no DQ, so no rope breaks. He gets out, he takes the kicks, takes kicks from Daniel Bryan, eats those, gets slapped by Daniel Bryan, says, hit me again, gets slapped again, and then he hits two short-on clotheslines on Bryan that knocked him the fucking silly. Takes off the straps, picks him up, tags in Xavier Woods, they get the midnight hour, and they become SmackDown Live Tag Team Champions. Throughout the entire match, it was really fun. It was really good to watch. Heavy Machinery had their moments, which was really cool. Um, Rowan had his spots. Ryan had his spots. It was really it was a really good triple threat tag team match. I don't like the result, but I do like the match. And it being better than I thought it was going to be always is a good thing. It adds to the quality of the show, it adds to the grade as well. But like I said the final grade will prove why it wasn't enough. And finally, just a quick little thing. I like to thank Kevin Dunn cuz he actually did one good thing last night. And y'all kind of have an idea of exactly what I'm talking about. Main event, Baron Corbin versus Lacey Evans versus Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch. Winner take all extreme rules match for the Universal and Raw Women's Jack Women's Championship. Now, we were try- now I know Lacey Evans was trying to show that they had Seth on her tights. But all we saw was an entire ass of Lacey Evans. Don't get me wrong. Lacey Evans is a very, very attractive woman. And has a nice ass to boot. I know she was trying to show Seth on her ass of the tights, which Renee Young easily pointed out. But we did not see Seth at all. All we saw was her bending over and showing some ass. And I'm sure all the little 15-year-old virgins around the world popped boners immediately at that moment. And for the cameraman, hopefully you did not get fired for having to do that shot. And for Kevin Dunn, for actually doing something fucking right for once, we thank you. And that is a quick little good segment that was Extreme Rules 2019. Again, we're going to take a quick break. And we're going to talk about the bad that was Extreme Rules 2019. We round out the good, the bad, and the ugly that was Extreme Fools 2019 with the bad. We usually would end the show with the ugly, but y'all know what happened with that. So, the new day, winning the SmackDown Live Tag Team Championship, does nothing in the grand scheme of things in terms of change. The so called change we were supposed to receive in the WWE. If you wanted change, you would have had Heavy Machinery win the tag team championships last night. If you wanted change, you would have had Daniel Bryan and Rowan retain, and have Heavy Machinery beat Bryan and Rowan at SummerSlam. Excuse me, carbonation from the clear delay. Don't get me wrong, I love the New Day. I'm a fan of the New Day. I love Kofi. I love Big E. I love Xavier Woods. I love his up, up, down, down channel. I love Kofi. You know, the proud WWE champion that he is. I wish Big E would be gunning for singles titles right now, but that's fine. I, I, like I said, I do like the New Day, but I didn't think they didn't they actually needed to win this championship last night. I didn't think they really needed to. It wasn't needed. As we now go into the Bischoff Heyman era. Of WWE. You know. It would have been honestly nice. To have. A heavy machinery win the championship. Even though I picked Rowan and Bryan to retain. It would have been nice to see a different change of pace. To have. You know. Heavy machinery win the titles there. I personally would have had Rowan and Bryan. Like I said. Retain so Heavy Machinery can take it in Toronto at the biggest party of the summer. That would have been a huge moment for Heavy Machinery. Would have been a right call to do that. Because think about it. Who are you going to have now go up against the New Day at SummerSlam? The Usos? Probably not. Who else do you have in the tag team division to go up against the New Day? I've ever heard anything from AOP, even though I think they're medically cleared to return. Ascension? No. Heath Slater and Rhino? Well, Rhino's now on impact, by the way. Just so y'all know, fun fact. There's no other tag teams that they have been building Before up until the point New Day won the tag titles last night. They have no one. So what are you going to do? Are you going to have you know, Brian and Rowan take on the New Day, you can't do that because you're going against your rule of no rematches. So you have to do Heavy Machinery versus the New Day, don't you? That's the only logical move I can think of. Is having Heavy Machinery face the New Day at SummerSlam and having Heavy Machinery win the championships. They probably won't do that because, you know, They don't like change. But it would have been nice to actually see if it wasn't going to be Rowan and Brian retaining the titles, heavy machinery winning them would have been a great move by the WWE. Samoa Joe losing to Kofi Kingston last night tells me one thing and one thing only. That Joe, as good as he is in and out of the ring, may never win the big one. And it's a damn shame that he isn't. I have stated plenty of times on this show, on this podcast, that Samoa Joe is one of my top three heels in all of WWE. Those three being Tommaso Champa, Shayna Baszler, and Samoa Joe, and not necessarily in that order. They can cut scathing promos. They kill it in the ring. They do whatever it takes to retain their championship or win matches in general. Even while Champ is out right now, he's still talking shit on Twitter. He's getting, he's getting prepared for his comeback to NXT, which will be literally one of the most anticipated returns in WWE's umbrella, underneath the WWE umbrella in their history. When he comes back, he's going to be coming back like wildfire. And it's going to be awesome to see what he does. It's going to be amazing. Shayna Baszler has been killing it. As a heel champion. A lot of people thought, and myself included, that Io Shirai was going to be Baszler. And now we have heel Io Shirai. And Samoa Joe, to his credit, still cannot be looked... is. I don't think he'll ever be looked at as a top guy in Vince McMahon's eyes in the WWE. On Raw or on SmackDown. I don't think he'll, they'll ever put the trigger on him being world champion. And he has so much to offer as world champion. He could have a great title run if he was WWE champion. He could have had a great title run multiple times if he was universal champion. He had his chance at Great Balls of Fire against Brock Lesnar. Even then, I had picked Samoa Joe to beat Brock Lesnar. For the same reason I had picked Braun Strowman to beat Brock Lesnar a couple years ago. Because Lesnar was leaving the company and getting prepared to be gone for four months. Now, I don't think he'll ever do it. I don't think they'll ever have him win a world title. I think they'll have him winning mid-card titles, but he'll never break that ce- he'll never break that ceiling. He'll never be past upper mid-card. And that is sad. That's honestly sad that Samoa Joe, who's one of the better guys in the company, can never ne- can never and will never be looked at as a world champion. And that makes me sad. Because Samoa Joe has so much to offer at this point. He cuts promos that kill it every single time he speaks. He has a demeanor about him that most fans love. I love his demeanor, I love his personality. What he did with AJ Styles last year was fucking awesome. And I need more, and I would have loved more of that. And he should have beat AJ Styles to become WWE champion at that time. But then we found out he had a 365 special, and that's part of the reason why Samoa Joe never became WWE champion. He was handed back the U.S. championship and then lost it at stomping grounds to Ricochet. Only for Ricochet to lose it three weeks fucking later to AJ Styles. So in my mind, another bad, the U.S. championship, is now more irrelevant than ever. That thing is such a hot potato right now, it's not even funny. How foolish of me to believe, and mind you, the United States Championship, one of my favorite belts ever in my life. Not the current WWE belt, the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. The bracelets I bought from Wish has more value than the United States Championship. The coffee cup I bought from Walmart, literally five bucks, is worth more than the United States Championship's value right now. The tablet I have right in front of me has more value than the United States Championship at this very moment. United States Championship is again irrelevant, and yes, yes. Congratulations to AJ Styles on becoming a three-time United States champion. But if they give that title back to Ricochet at Summerslam, it is just I'm going to look at it as nothing more than a hot potato championship. <clears throat> I will declare it less valuable than the twenty-four-seven championship right now. If the if that's the case, to have Ricochet get one more shot at AJ Styles. I'm being so serious right now. That belt is losing its value by the second. Yes, AJ Styles is champion, but it's so irrelevant. Just like the Intercontinental Championship, both mid-car titles are relevant. Let's look at it from Nakamura's standpoint. Yes. Am I happy that Nakamura is the Intercontinental Championship? Is the Intercontinental Champion? Absolutely a fucking movie, But, getting into it, getting into one of my bad points, Finn Balor's tighter reign never even got off the ground before Shinsuke Nakamura won the championship last night. He only defended that belt once. Prior to losing the championship to Nakamura. On the pre-show. That's how much value the Intercontinental Championship has. Now I was listening to JD from memoir 206s review of Extreme, Extreme Fools last night. And he actually suggested what I would have suggested. To have Balor Nakamura in the main event tomorrow night on SmackDown. At least it would have garnered some value. Because the last time before we saw Balor Nakamura a couple weeks ago was in NXT. And that match was a pivotal moment for the career of Shinsuke Nakamura. Because in NXT, in order to prove he was the best in NXT, he had to beat Finn Balor. Before he could become NXT champion, he wanted to be Balor to prove he was the top guy to face, I believe, if I remember correctly, Samoa Joe. See how it all ties in here? It's crazy, isn't it? That was the last time I cared about Balor Nakamura. Not to say I don't care about both guys because I think they're two of the best guys from NXT ever. Ever. In their history, two of the biggest, guys, two of the biggest names ever to come out of NXT, and they're being treated like such afterthoughts. Now that you have Balor dropping the title to Nakamura, what are you gonna do with Balor? Because I've seen so many posts about, oh my God, Balor's gonna go to B- gonna become part of the club. I doubt that. I doubt they're gonna have Balor become part of the club with AJ Styles, Gallows, and Anderson. And if they do, I will be thoroughly shocked that they made that move. He'll, I don't think he's going to join the Bulls. I don't think he's going to join that. I don't think there's going to be another reincarnation of the club. I do not think in my heart of hearts Finn Balor is going to join the club. I doubt it. I highly doubt they're going to pull that shit. I would love it for it to happen because that would be fucking awesome. I doubt it will happen. I cannot see it. I don't think it's going to happen. I do not think for one second that they are going to have Finn Balor go to the club. They're going to have Balor just do run-of-the-mill shit and then maybe consider it. But if Bischoff is literally at the helm, maybe he'll get Balor Balor Club popping. That would be awesome because that would be good television. That would be proper use of the wildcard rule but the walker rule sucks. Balor's on SmackDown. Styles is on Raw. So are Gallows and Anderson. I don't see how that would work unless you do it for a Survivor Series style match. But again, I can't see Finn Balor becoming part of the club. And it's a very sad state of affairs when the both mid Championships are, de- are looked at, in my eyes, as irrelevant. Unless you're building up to a possible Alistair Black, Shinsuke Nakamura feud, which I don't see happening, even though that would be a, a great match for the Intercontinental Championship, that would just look be that would make Nakamura looked at as a transitional champion, because are you really going to have Aleister Black lose? No. You're not. So then what do you do? What are you going to do for Nakamura at SummerSlam? At the so-called biggest party of the summer, what are you going to have Nakamura do? Who is he going to go up against? Mustafa Ali? That would actually be a good match. But then again, are you going to have Mustafa Ali become Intercontinental Champion? I don't know. But that would make Nakamura look like an actual transitional champion. You can't just put the belt on Nakamura and not have him do a long title reign. I have said it plenty of times before that you have to have superstars who hold particular belts have long dominant title reigns to add prestige to the belt. The United Carolina Championship at one point was considered the workhorse title and would lead to you becoming world champion down the line. Look over the history of the Intercontinental Championship and who's held that belt. They would truly be considered next. They would, you would literally be considered next in line to become a WWE champion, the top guy of your brand, if you were holding the championship. Now, it's just a regular old belt. Just a regular championship on television. They need to revitalize your, their mid card championships. They need to start building the mid card. Because if they don't, it's going to become a huge fucking problem for them going forward. Because a mid card in the future helps build the future of your brand. Both of the kickoff show matches never really got the second gear for me. Finn Balor Shinsuke Nakamura never got in the second gear. It was just it was a decent match, but it never really had that certain je ne sais quoi that I needed. The ending of the match was dope. A shock moment, honestly, in my eyes. But I never really expected Nakamura to win the title. The Drew Gulak, Tony Nese Cruiserweight Championship never got in the second gear at all. I mean, yes, Drew Gulak retained the championship. I'm good with that. In his hometown, smartest move they could have done. But truthfully, they never got past that first gear. I would have liked a little bit more out of both of those matches, to be truthfully honest with you. Honestly, and I'm being really serious, they should have put the women's handicap match on the pre-show and put and actually put Gulak Nice on the main card. I keep telling y'all, the cruiserweight championship on the main card to kick off shows would have been done very properly. People would be shocked by the fact that they actually would put it on the main card and in a hometown hometown game. In a home game for Drew Gulak to start off the show, to start off the main card, would have been very proper for Drew Gulak. I'm sure a lot of people would be absolutely surprised that not only the Cruiserweight Championship was in the main card, that they would have actually had Gulak retaining, and the crowd in Philly would have been very happy because of it. I definitely would have. I will be sh- the day they have the cruiserweight championship on the main card is the day I'll be absolutely shocked they put the cruiserweight championship match on the main card. I mean, dead serious. They need to treat the cruiserweight championship like it actually means something for your main card. It's a sad state of affairs. Like I said, that, that match never got in the second gear. I like the fact, you know, that I like the Drew gulak nice rivalry. But it doesn't mean much when you only go about 10 minutes and it just falls flat. And that's a huge problem for WWE. The kickoff shows mean nothing. They really don't. So... Getting into two more things before we get the fuck out of here and go into our top three matches of the night, worst match of the night in the final grade for the show. Why did every single tag team match have to require tags when we could have had tornado tag team rules? Every tag match required a tag for another person to come in or their their partner to come into the match. Why not have tornado tags? If you want to be so fucking extreme, every match should be literal tornado tag rules. I would have done that. I even talked about that on Twitter. I believe it was the Misspots Spots podcast that actually liked my, what, I, what I actually said. Had they done, tornado tag rules would have been awesome. That would have given, actually... You could have done a lot more spots with that. It would have been interesting to see Bailey how she would be able to fend off two women at the same time. How would she be able to fend off Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss? How would she be able to overcome that? The Triple Threat tag team match would have been very well suited to have all six men go ape shit on each other at the same time. Fuck a tag. No holds barred. Tag match should have never had tags. Let them go at it. Let Undertaker and Drew McIntyre go at it. Let Shane McMahon and Roman go at it, and then switch off every once in a while. Feel me? The Extreme Rules winner take all tag team matchup would have been properly suited for a tornado tag because it was going to be Becky on Lacey. And Baron on Seth for most of the, for most of the match anyway, and you could have done a couple tag team spots with each other, you know, Becky and Seth doing a suplex on like the double suplex they did on the ramp, the, the table spot you could have done that, but excuse me, but last night the one night of the year where it goes extreme, you should have taken to that taken it that next step, and actually done tornado tag rules. And you could have honestly had gotten a lot more out of your tag team matches because of it. And to round out the bad, that was Extreme Rules. Who on the WWE Raw roster at this very moment is even looked at as believable to beat Brock Lesnar and become the new Universal Champion? Who? Apparently it ain't Seth Rollins. It ain't Seth Rollins. It's not Drew McIntyre. Sure as hell ain't Braun Strowman. And it sure as hell ain't Bobby Trashley. Sure as hell ain't either of those guys. Sure as hell ain't Samoa Joe. After him losing to Kofi Kingston last night. Who can you say on that Raw roster right now is worthy of becoming the new Universal Champion? I'd love to know. I see no one on that roster that's looked at as believable to beat Brock Lesnar right now. Unless they they do 50-50 booking and have Seth Rollins become the new Universal Champion again at SummerSlam. I can't see anybody beating Lesnar, believably. I can't see it. I see no one on that Raw roster right now. Not even AJ Styles. And he just won the U.S. Championship. So currently, he's mid-card. Nobody on that roster. Maybe Bray Wyatt. Maybe Maybe they're saving Bray Wyatt for SummerSlam. I don't know. But honestly, I would have had Rollins Wyatt over Lesnar Wyatt. Because they haven't done anything with Wyatt as of yet besides the Firefly Funhouse. If they have him come out tonight to go after Brock Lesnar, then maybe I'll believe it. But considering the fact that next Monday we have Raw reunion, makes no fucking sense, by the way, which is bullshit. So, on the road to, and by the way, on the road to SummerSlam, there should be no Raw reunion, none whatsoever. You can do that after. You can do that after SummerSlam is over. Right now, on the we are on the build to SummerSlam. We are literally four shows away. We have four weeks of build to get through before we get to SummerSlam. We have no fucking time for a Raw reunion. None. I love me some Stone Cold. I love me some Ric Flair, all the old school guys. But we have no time for a Raw fucking reunion whatsoever. We do not. We don't. It's not needed. So you're wasting one week already of build towards SummerSlam for this. Terrible. You can do that a couple weeks after SummerSlam for all I give a shit. But right now, at a big four pay-per-view, you're going to do it the second week of build? It's going to do nothing. So already, you've got one week of build wasting. I'm not going to care. I'm not watching it. I can skip that without fail, without question. Deem that as a week I won't be watching Raw. But going back to the believability of someone beating Brock Lesnar. They've built up no one for a universal championship. And I don't think they're going to build up anyone to do so. We literally, Vince McMahon is laughing at all of us, thinking he pulled the wool over our eyes once again. And thinking he got one over on us. Because now, once again, Brock Lesnar's universal champion. Brock Lesnar's universal champion and there's nothing we can do about it. If you're going to think Rollins is going to take the title back from Lesnar, I don't see it happening. The only hope you have is Bray Wyatt. Literally, the only hope we have of Lesnar Losing the championship to anybody, it's Bray Wyatt. And even that, I can't believe. So that was the good, the bad, and the ugly. That was Extreme Fools 2019. And we can now go into our awards for the night. Let's start off with the MVP. Now, I know I didn't write this down. And I've literally been going out throughout the entire night. Throughout this entire episode, while talking to you guys and recording, who would I give the MVP to? In terms of the MVP of Extreme Rules, you know who I'm going to give it to? I'm going to give it to the Undertaker. Because, I mean, granted the the fact that he still had the, he still has that match with Goldberg still recently in our minds. That's fine. But at least for one night, that man had a performance that I actually loved. A great performance he put on last night for the Philadelphia crowd. I, Mark, I enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed his performance. 54 years old, repaired hips, and doing what he did, he got out for this match. And I'm sure the check he was given was very nice. He got up for this one because he wanted to, you wanted to take you wanted to shake that last match off. And he did his fucking job. Got the win for himself and Roman last night, and they did their job. So, congratulations to the Undertaker, who I'm giving the MVP Award of Extreme Rules to. Which brings us to our top three matches of the night. Let's start off with number three. For the first time in YLP history, when I, ever since I've been doing The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, I have a tie. And that tie is going to Alistair Black versus Cesaro. And The Revival versus The Usos. Both were good matches. Both were really good matches. I enjoyed them. Both. Immensely. And I, I figured it was a very wise idea of me to actually include both. Because I could not leave one out. Now, mind you, every match was literally the top four matches of the night in my eyes. Because the rest of the matches didn't even bother. And Aleister Black versus Cesaro was a great way to reintroduce Aleister Black to everyone in WWE. They put on a solid performance, as I talked about earlier, and the good that was Extreme Fools. And they, did, they put on a great match. They put on a really, really good match that I loved. They did what they had to do. They hit their numbers. And Aleister Black with that black mask at the end out of nowhere was perfect. Number two. The triple threat match for the SmackDown Live Tag Team Championship between The New Day, Heavy Machinery, and Daniel Bryan and Rowan. That was a good match. Despite the fact that The New Day became six-time tag team champions, I I did like this match from beginning to end. Like I said, everyone hit their moments, everyone hit their spots, everyone hit their numbers. This is a really really good match and the Philadelphia crowd seemed like they were really into it. That always does help in the grand scheme of things with the crowd behind you. You know, hopefully, you know, Heavy Machinery get their chance to face the New Day at SummerSlam for the tag titles. For one night, this was really good. And I cannot believe for the life of me that I'm actually going to make this match number one on my list. But this was fun. This was a fun match. A great way to open up the show. And I know my mom's probably going to be happy as shit that I'm actually saying his name out loud. But I am giving the top spot to Roman Reigns and The Undertaker. Versus Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre. I know I'm shocked. I'm just as shocked as you are. I am just as shocked as you are. That I am giving this the top spot. It was a toss-up between the triple threat match and the No holes Barred tag team match, but I think it was a great way to open up the show. It was the right. It was in the right spot. Undertaker didn't look like you know how he was against Goldberg, and that added to the reason why this is number one on my list. Roman definitely had a, had a great showing. Shane and Drew had a great showing. Elias getting involved in that match made sense. I would have liked a little bit more carnage for my No Noel, Holds match, but for what we got out of it, that was a very fun match. The Undertaker, for at least one night, redeemed himself. That's why he was the MVP. That's how, how crazy is that? The Undertaker gets the number one spot on my top three matches of the night, and he's the MVP of Extreme Rules. That says something, especially coming off the performance he had against Goldberg at Super Letdown. Now we get into my worst match of the night, and it should be blatantly obvious what it is. Bailey versus Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss, the two on one handicap match. For the SmackDown Live Women's Championship. That match was atrocious. It wasn't needed, and it would have been honestly better suited for the pre show. That was a pre-show match. That should have kicked off Extreme Rules kickoff show. Get it the fuck out of the way. It wasn't needed on the main card. And hell, it wasn't even needed for the show. And I guarantee you, Alexa Bliss versus Bailey is going down at SummerSlam. If they do if they do Bailey Charlotte, I wouldn't be surprised either. But I think they're gonna do Bliss versus Bailey for the SmackDown Live women's championship at SummerSlam. And it's gonna fucking suck. It's bad enough you had Nikki Cross take the pin. bad enough. Because God forbid Alexa Bliss could take a fucking bump. And I don't give a shit if she was sick. Irrelevant. You, were, She wasn't even supposed to. She shouldn't have been involved. She's a Raw superstar going up against a SmackDown superstar because they didn't give a fuck about the rest of the women's division on SmackDown Live. All they cared about is a blonde with big tits. Because that's what Vince McMahon likes. Lacey Evans going for the Raw Women's Championship for a third straight month. Wasn't needed. At all. But that was the worst match of the night. One of the worst matches of the year, in my honest opinion. I hope. I really do hope this is the last time we see these two face all these three in this feud face each other and involve the SmackDown Women's SmackDown Live Women's Championship over it. Because if they if they do Bliss and Bailey, I I give up on the women's division. I give up because at this point there's no reason for me to actually start believe, keep believing in the women anymore. Because WWE made them actually made me not believe in them anymore. Which leads to our final grade. Given everything I spoke about. From extreme rules. Or my bad, extreme fools. From last night. We were all fooled. You were fooled. I knew this match could have would have- I knew this card would have been terrible. Yes, it's had its good moments. The first three matches, fantastic. Alistair Black Cesaro, fantastic. Revival Usos, I loved. No holds barred tag match, great. Triple threat tag team match for the SmackDown Live Tag Team Championship did what it's supposed to do and it was really good. The rest of the card, fucking unbearable. I am giving Extreme Fools 2019 a D plus. If I was doing number ratings, I would have given it easily 4 out of 10. 3 out of 10, actually. 3.5 if I was being generous. It's a... D-plus show, from my standpoint, which literally would give it the worst grade of 2019, of which case I am deeming it the worst pay-per-view of 2019. When you have Dolph Ziggler losing in five seconds, when you have the 2-on-1 handicap match, when you have the Brock Lesnar winning back the Universal Championship, Kofi Kingston beating Samoa Joe, and making Joe look like a damn failure again. And the rest of the car I really doesn't care about. I didn't. The, the kickoff show, never got none of the matches ever got past second gear. Finn Balor title reign, didn't make any sense. Ricochet had a three-week title reign. That's how I see it. And that's how we're ending the good of the bad and the ugly. If you think I gave it a bad grade... Hit me up on my, hit me up on my social media, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Well guys, that's gonna be it for episode 85, the good, the bad, the ugly, that was extreme fools the one year anniversary show i want to thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day your night your afternoon and your evening wherever you may be wherever you are in the world i want to thank you guys so so much for one year in the books and beginning year two off on the right foot thank you guys so much for the bottom of my heart i greatly and truly appreciate If you enjoyed this episode, do not hesitate to share this episode on social media, your Instagram, your Facebook, your Twitter, your Tumblr, your Bumble, your LinkedIn profile, your Tinder profile, I don't care what social media you have, DLive, whatever you got, Gab, whatever alternative social media you have, share it across all your social media and let the people know that especially on the road to the greatest day in professional wrestling history in 2019, August 31st, of course, that the young... Lions Perspective is your alternative professional wrestling podcast and that we are here to fucking stand of course if you enjoyed this episode and want to listen to this episode again or any of the other other 84 episodes of the Young Lions Perspective that includes three episodes of Outside the Ropes and of course my interview with Sonny Arvato as we talked about his book Instagods that is still up on the podcast and four episodes of the Secret Files If you don't happen to have the Anchor app, relax. We got y'all. You can find us across eight different platforms as well. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and of course, that good old Spotify fam. Search for the Young Lions Perspective across any of these platforms and you should have no problem finding it whatsoever. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's going on with the Young Lions Perspective, you can follow me on my social media. Of course, my Twitter at Swade Senator WWI. I will be live tweeting for tonight's Monday Night Raw. Like I said, this is the most critical day in WWE in 2019. So you know I have to check this out, and I will be going. I'll be going live tweeting. I'll be live tweeting all night, or as for as long as I possibly can stand it. If the show does suck, I also do live tweeting for SmackDown Live nxt nxt uk AEW, every wwe live pay-per-view and if i am awake at five o'clock in the morning and there's nothing else for me to do i do live tweeting for new japan pro wrestling as well you can also follow me on my instagram at young underscore lines underscore perspective follow me on both of those platforms to stay up to date with everything that's going on with the ylp podcast guys friday coming up You know what time it is. We are going to be doing some NXT and NXT UK review. I cannot wait to talk about it because Adam Cole will be defending the NXT championship. But we don't know who his opponent is just yet. That's why Friday is going to be so much fun to talk about NXT, NXT UK review. So until Friday, guys, as we begin year two of the Young Lions perspective, enjoy the rest of your week. And we'll talk again on Friday for episode 86 of Young Lions Perspective, guys. Until next time, see ya!